We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, March the 8th, 2021. Today's show, get your brooms back out, folks, as Gamecocks baseball takes care of business over the weekend against the Mercer Bears by scores of 5-1, to one, Four to nothing and one to nothing. South kind of picking up the sweep over the weekend. We'll talk key takeaways, TSUS series MVP, who's hot, who's not. I'll break down what's next as well as the Gamecocks move to a perfect 10 and 0 early in this baseball season. Also, we'll move to the hardwood men's basketball falling to the Kentucky Wildcats 92 to 64. Also, we got to talk women's basketball. Dawn Staley, that crew winning their sixth SEC title in the last seven years. Also, the SEC tournament bracket for men's basketball has been released. We've also got your listener questions, guys, and a fantastic interview. Former Gamecock Southball and current MLB pitcher Tyler Webb joined the show. We talk about his college career, current success at the MLB level, much, much more. Guys, we've got a packed show here on a Monday, so sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company, by the way. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. Guys, they have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
on aisle nine. Yeah, clean up on aisle nine. We got another sweep over here. We need the brooms. Get the brooms back out. Yeah, yeah. We got to get a sweep here. Get a sweep in. Folks, how you doing? Happy Monday. <laughs> March the 8th, 2021. Let's get after it. Let's have a Monday. How's it going? Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show as always. And again, my oh my, how sweep it is. Yet here we are again. The Gamecocks just keep on keeping on as we sit as a perfect 10-0 and 0 right now, early in this 2021 baseball season. I'll tell you what, I thought this team was going to be good. I still think this team is going to be really good. I picked this team to do some special things this year. I'm not sure I would I would have picked 10 and 0. I, I really not sure I would have done it. But that's where we sit right now. Gamecocks, of course, taking a, the weekend sweep over the Mercer Bears. And man, we got a lot to get into today. We're talking baseball. Of course, we are going to talk men's basketball because you know what? Like I said on Saturday, a captain goes down with a sinking ship, and I'll be damned. We started this thing and we're going to finish it. Hey, on a brighter note, when it comes to basketball, we're going to talk Dawn Staley, her crew, sixth. SEC championship in the last seven years. Man, they, they just don't get enough recognition, do they? They don't get enough appreciation uh, for that program, what they've done. We'll get into that as well. Your listener questions, again, great interview. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in here on a Monday. Thank you so much, guys. Again, it, it was a great weekend. Uh, hope your weekend was well. Hope your Monday is going well. Um, I spent my weekend out at Founders Park, went to all three games, hung out with some friends, got on TV yet again. How about that? The cameras just, I don't know, man. The cameras love me. I, I don't know what it is. The cameras love us. Um, hung out with she who shall not be named yet again at the games. Uh, had some buddies come out on Saturday. You know, we had a good time. We had a good time. We had a great weekend and appreciate the, uh, you know, my guy hooking us up with the seats also as well. Those were fantastic seats, but a, a really fun weekend at Founders Park, a great weekend for baseball. And of course, that's where we're going to start, guys, as the Gamecocks take care of business against the Mercer Bears, five to one, four to nothing, and one to nothing to earn the weekend sweep and move to a perfect 10 and 0 on the season. Guys, first things first, let's move into key takeaways from this weekend. I'll say this you got to start here because we got a lot to dive into and a lot to break down when it comes to the South Gunna side of things. But tip your cap to Mercer because I'll be honest, I, I was, you know, there weren't many things that really surprised me over the weekend. Um, you know, looking at the statistics, I, I will say the the lack of offensive output or just how good the Mercer pitchers were is something that I, I certainly was a little surprised by. But overall, I think you just got to tip the cap to Mercer. Um, this is a team, again, that was picked to finish second in the SOCON. You know, I told you guys coming in, and, and you listen to any, you know, college baseball analyst, you go look at D1 baseball, you go talk to whoever, you know, everybody told you this was a quality opponent. The Mercer Bears are a legit team. Mercer's legit. They're going to have a lot of success in the SOCOM. I have no doubt about that. They've got some real ball players. They've got some really gritty, tough kids, especially on the mound. And if they get the hitting side of things going, and the biggest thing that stood out to me about Mercer, you know, they're a team that is not intimidated. Like, like they, they were not phased playing in Founders Park against an SEC school, you know, big, bad South Carolina. Like, I, I did not see that. From Mercer at all. I, I did not see that at any point this weekend where they shook, where they flustered, where they frustrated. Um, they took it to South Carolina for three games. And again, I, I think it should not be undervalued by South Carolina fans just how good of a weekend sweep that was. So first things first, really tip the cat to Mercer. The Mercer Bears are a legitimate ball club, and I think they will have a lot of success um, in the SoCon. Obviously, the big takeaway from this weekend, you know, the, 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 the leading storyline, if you will, was the pitching side of things. I mean, you're pitching absolutely dominating the weekend, giving up just one run 
one run, guys, in 27 innings pitch. I mean, that you're going to win a lot of ball games when you're able to do that. Um, it all started, of course, you know, we'll start first with the starting rotation. I thought all three guys really threw well. Uh, Thomas Farr, Brandon Jordan, and Julian Bosnick. You know, you go down their stat, stat lines. We'll start with Friday. Thomas Farr, five and a third, six hits, one run, one earned, three walks, and five strikeouts. Uh, you move to Saturday, Brandon Jordan. He gave you five innings, one hit, three walks, and 11 strikeouts. And then Sunday, Julian Bosnick, man, he just keeps on doing his thing. Five and two-thirds innings, four walks, and nine strikeouts. Again, overall, you know, I thought all three guys really threw well. Um, they all kind of gave you what you hoped for and what you expected. Again, I thought Thomas Farr on Friday, his stuff was phenomenal. Big-time Friday night guy. You know, I thought even his outing could have gone much better. I thought it got derailed when things, the game sort of hit a lull there on Friday, if you remember. Um but overall, you know, Thomas Farr continue to do what he does, and I, I feel really good about him in that Friday spot. I'm going to jump to Sunday because I want to spend a second talking about Brandon Jordan. Sunday, you know, Julian Bosnick, man, I, you know, the stuff is good. He continues to just simply live down in the zone, mix speeds, and locate, and it's paying off for him. Again, nine strikeouts for him as well. Um, Gamecock pitchers, by the way, guys, recorded 44 strikeouts. 44 strikeouts. In this three uh, in this three game series, I think South Carolina is averaging 16 strikeouts per game right now, which I think is just a testament to you know how much better this group has gotten, but also just how good the young arms are as well. Uh, the guys you're trotting out there are some really damn good ball players, really good pitchers. And then again, jumping back to Saturday because I want to spend a second talking about this one. Brandon Jordan again, five innings pitch to hit three walks and 11 strikeouts. You know, this was a guy I talked a lot about coming in this weekend. And I thought you really needed to see a performance like you saw Saturday from Brandon Jordan. Again, was Brandon Jordan bad to this point in the season? No, he wasn't. I thought he was very solid for you. But a lot of high-stress innings, a lot of high-stress pitches, and a lot of high-stress situations. And again, you don't even feel like you've hit the toughest part of your schedule. Um, with all these youngsters you have, especially a guy like Will Sanders, who I think could still battle for weekend innings in regards to a starting role, you know, I, I just thought Brandon Jordan needed to come out, have an outing that established, hey, I'm the Saturday guy. Like, I, you know, and, and make Coach Kingston, Coach me, this fan base, me particularly, feel confident and feel good about him in that slot moving forward. I thought he gave that to you on Saturday. Again, battled his tail off, only gave up one hit. Yes, he had the three walks, but overall 11 strikeouts. I mean, it just shows you, if he's in the zone, if he's in the zone and getting ahead of guys, the stuff is there. there there's no question. Brandon Jordan has the stuff to be a big-time pitcher in this league. He, he has the stuff, no question. It's just all about throwing strikes, filling his own, which it's, it, that's the case for most of these guys. You know, they wouldn't be at this level if they didn't have really, really good stuff. But overall, I just thought Brandon Jordan was the guy to me that I, I, you know, I felt like it was so crucial for him to have a big weekend. And, you know, he certainly did that for you, and he had a great start on Saturday. And, again, I feel really good about moving forward him in that Saturday role. And then, again, we're talking about pitching. We have to talk about this Carolina bullpen because um, not to jump too far ahead, but we're talking who's hot, who's not. You know who's damn red hot is the Gamecocks bullpen. Didn't allow a single earned run, guys. Not a single earned run. Not a single earned run by this bullpen allowed and 19 strikeouts delivered. That, folks, is called getting the job done. Bottom line. <laughs> that's called getting the job done. Um, so overall, your pitching staff, unreal what they did. Again, back-to-back -back shutouts on Saturday and Sunday. And again, it's like I told you guys after the opening weekend. You know, listen, baseball's a game where 
very rarely do you have both, right? Very rarely are you scoring 15 runs in a game and you're pitching a shutout, right? It, it, you know, sometimes your hitting's got to pick up your pitching, and sometimes your pitching has got to pick up your hitting. And I think this is just a weekend where you saw, you know, this team can win in different ways. Yeah, it can win 10 to nothing. It can win 10 to nine or 15 to 14 or, you know, it can have those offensive explosions. But to also see it win games like this, five to one, four to nothing, one to nothing, like rely on your pitching and lean on your pitching. Sometimes you just have to win ball games that way. And, uh, you know, to see South going to do it, I think is obviously a, a very welcome sight. Again, I think we all still feel pretty good about the bats overall. Um, but you can win with elite pitching and elite defense. And overall, I thought that's what you had over the weekend. Again, you take a look at the defensive side. I'm not sure that South Carolina, let's see, Friday, no. Saturday. So, okay. So the Gamecocks did have one error on Sunday. And I'm trying to think, what was the error? Let's see. What? Oh, Braylon Wimmer. You know what it was? It was a, it was a foul ball that he dropped. So, I mean, yes, it was an error, but I mean, he certainly should have caught it, but I remember correctly, Brett Carey, I think struck out the guy. So overall it didn't hurt you or anything, but overall you had elite defense, you had elite pitching and you can win and you can win big with that in your back pocket. Now, again, I'm talking about the pitching side of things. Let's move to the bats. Because again, another key takeaway, and I know a lot of people ask me this, Chris, should we be concerned about the bats after this weekend? My answer is no. Um, do things need to get better? Certainly. I think there were some situations, situational hitting definitely needs to get a lot better. I think the bottom of your lineup, you know, seven through nine right now, I still feel really good about one through six. I do. But the seven, eight, nine spots, uh, you know, there are guys that need to step up. And I think you saw Coach Kingston, you know, I, I talked about coming in the weekend as far as, you know, the last weekend to really sharpen things up and find out who your dudes are and kind of kind of play around with lineups and, and, and try different guys in different spots and stuff like that. I think you saw that on Saturday. You know, you saw the insertion of of Joe Satterfield and, and Brandon Fields and, 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 you know, other guys. You know, you saw Wes Clark catch and, and, and some other guys put in some different situations. But they got to find something because seven, eight, nine, I, I don't think right now is giving you quite as much as you would like. Again, one through six, I feel really, really good about. Feel really good about those guys. Seven through nine, I think could 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 use some improvement. You know, not going to lie. But, but overall, I, I don't think fans should be overly concerned about the bats or anything like that. You know, I, I thought that Mercer, again, tipped the cap to them, did a really good job. They had a bunch of side armor, submarine guys, you know, re really a lot of sink on the ball and – and those guys are tough to hit, and that's the first time you've seen that this season, and it's not something you see in practice, and it's not something you see on a daily basis, like I said. So um, you got to tip the cap to some degree to Mercer. I think there's a lot of teams that would struggle with the type of pitching South going to saw. Again, you know, Clemson, you think you saw more like power arms and traditional kind of what you'll see in the SEC. Um, I equate this to almost like South going to football or a, or a SEC football team taking on an, an option team. You know what I mean? Like it's just different. There's an adjustment to it. And, uh, you know, you did enough, like I said, all weekend to get the job done, leaning on your pitching. But I don't think fans need to be concerned about the bats. The biggest thing for me is the situational hitting, you know, and, and you actually saw South Carolina capitalize that on that on Sunday. It's the reason they won the game. You know, you get guys on first and second. Braylon Wimmer lays down a beautiful bunt. Joe Satterfield drives him in, does his job, and you win the, you win the game one to nothing. So um, there were positives. There were negatives, of course. You know, people are going to complain about the lack of, of, of power numbers and, you know, we didn't see nearly as many home runs or anything like that. But again, at the end of the day, the bottom line is this. You did enough to get the job done. Again, totaling 13, you had 13. 
17 hits over the three games. Again, you combine and score 10 runs. I, I think you're going to see this offense, like I said, score a lot more than that across the course of this season. But, uh, no, I, I think it's more of tipping the cat to Mercer, that, that, that weird style, that weird sidearm, submarine-type style. Will, hey, Jackson Kelly Sunday for Mercer, unreal. He had an unreal game, unreal performance. But I don't think fans need to be concerned about the bats yet. Again, as a team, even after this weekend, you're still hitting 317. I, I think you'll be fine when it comes to that. One thing I do want to mention, guys, and, and it's just – I don't know if it was just me, but I don't even know if it's necessarily a, a key takeaway – but just, and it's, I didn't even write it in my notes, to be honest, but just something I want to mention, because it, it's something I had in the back of my mind all, all weekend long. You know, it, it was kind of crazy, the different vibe. You know, after you had opening weekend, everybody's fired up. We haven't had baseball in forever. And then you had Clemson weekend. Of course, we're on the edge of our seats for every pitch, and we're all fired up and, and going crazy. And I, I don't think taking it for granted is the right way to put it, because that, that's certainly not how I felt. But even I, you know, being in the park all three games, the vibe taking on Mercer was so much different than it was the first two weekends. Like, it, it felt like, you know, I, I equate it to this, guys. It's kind of like when a football team, you know, let's say South Carolina played Georgia, and then they played Eastern Illinois, and then they played Clemson. And it's like that bridge game in the middle. You know, it's hard to get up for that one. It's hard to get quite as excited. It's hard not to look ahead. And again, that is not taking anything away from Mercer because they are a very quality ball club. And I don't think this team necessarily looked ahead either. But being in the park, like, you, you could feel the difference. You could certainly feel the difference. I, I just thought it was a weird vibe kind of all weekend. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm crazy. I, I don't know. But um, I don't know. That, that sense of urgency and, you know, certainly comparing it to Clemson, which, I mean, we, we know it's not going to compare – but it was kind of eerie. It was kind of like interesting being in there. And it's like you go from, again, that super regional feel, that super regional vibe to literally like this feels like just a leisurely day at the park. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody else felt that. If you did, you can let me know. But I, I, that, I just thought that was really interesting, at least from the fan perspective, at least from the fan side, how it kind of just felt like it felt like a spring training game. Like it really felt like spring training games, all three games. And, uh, you know, again, I, I don't want to say I'm sitting here taking it for granted because I'm not. Like, I love that we have baseball, and, I hey, I'd do it all over again. I'd watch us play Mercer every weekend if it meant we get to have baseball. But uh, I, it was an interesting vibe for sure, the, the energy, the emotion, whatever. And, again, you don't care about it when you get the job done and you win all three games and whatever. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just a simple, simple fact of this series having it fall in between – Clemson and Texas you know what I mean like it's just like that bridge series you kind of just had to get through and like okay now we've taken care of business now we can start to think about the Citadel on Wednesday and then now we can start to think about Texas this upcoming weekend again let's get back on the field guys another key takeaway for me um the young arms you know I, I talked about the bullpen but these young arms continue to thrive and again I, I think something that's interesting is who Mark Kingston's going to um you know I know a lot of fans have asked where's Cam Tringali where's Parker Coyne Where's some of these other guys that have thrown? Where's John Gilreath? Where's some of these other guys that have thrown before? You know, and I think Mark Kingston kind of alluded to it, and he kind of said it without really saying it. Like, he said it indirectly that, like, guys, we just have young guys we feel really good about that have won innings, that, that are just better. Like, no offense to anybody else, but, I mean, you come to South Carolina, it's all about competition. It's all about the best guys are going to get the ball, and – you know, right now, I mean, a guy like Danny Lloyd didn't pitch this weekend. So, you know, overall, the guys that 
Kingston and Meade and, and the rest of that crew feel are going to give them the best chance to win, that's who they're throwing. Guys like Will Sanders, guys like Jack Mahoney, who threw twice, guys like Jackson Phipps, who threw yet again. Hey, Brett Carey threw twice. Andy Peters gave you great innings on Friday afternoon. I think he's going to be a huge piece out of that bullpen. So, again, big thing for me that I saw is, again, your young arms continue to thrive, but the young arms are the ones that are continuing to get opportunities, which tells me, I mean, when you go to Texas this weekend, those are going to be the first guys that come out of the bullpen for you. Yeah, yeah, you might have a guy like a Cam Tringali and a Parker Coyne that, and a John Gilreath and, and a Danny Lloyd that have more experience. And again, it's no knock on those guys because I like all those guys, but these young guys are different, man. These young guys are electric. I mean, I'm really, Jack Mahoney is going to be a stud for South Carolina. Will Sanders is going to be a stud. If they're not already, and again, they've never pitched an SEC game. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to crown them prematurely or anything, but these dudes are legit. These are not your normal freshmen. These are not your typical freshmen. Because, I mean, right now, if I had to think of which guys are like the first out of your bullpen, when I'm thinking about Texas this weekend, I'm thinking, I think Andy Peters is one of your first after the way he's thrown the last two weekends. I think Will Sanders, certainly. I think Jack Mahoney, certainly. I think Jackson Phipps, certainly. I think Danny Lloyd could be there, but I think Brett Carey, that's five. I think that's your first five out. I, I really do. I, I think that's probably your first five guys out of the pen. And then after that, you start talking about the Danny Lloyds and the Mag Cottos and the Travis Loonsmans and, and some other guys. But, uh, you know, you, you continue to see the pieces evolve. You continue to see the pieces shuffle around and, and again, it's these young guys that are stepping up, man. And again, a guy like Jack Mahoney, he's making the most of his opportunities. A guy like Will Sanders, he's making the most of his opportunities. I mean, just bottom line. So, you know, incredible what these young arms continue to do for you. Guys, my last key takeaway is this. I, I, I really want to take a second because, again, I, I, I don't think fans are doing this in regards to, like, not appreciating where we are. But I just want to take a second to, you know, show some appreciation for this Gamecocks baseball team and the fact that this team is 10 and 0. Um, because I, I know some fans that again, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just, I'm just talking though, but I know some fans that maybe casually tune in or, you know, don't really understand. Like a lot of people don't get in baseball, like a Winthrop can beat you in the midweek. A Citadel can beat you. Um, a Mercer can beat you. Like we see it all over college baseball. You know, there aren't many teams that are undefeated, even the best in the country are losing games. I mean, you saw Vandy lose to Georgia State. You saw, you know, Ole Miss damn near lose to Belmont. You saw, you know, they lost to UCF. And you've seen, you know, you saw Florida in the midweek lose to uh to FAU, who again I think is a really good ball club. But you guys get the point. I just want to take a moment because again, I don't know how long this is going to go. Maybe you beat Citadel. Hey, maybe you go sweep Texas and you move to fourteen and zero. I don't know, but I want to take a moment. I want to take a second to show appreciation for perfection to this point again let, let's let's not lose sight of how special this is let's not lose sight of how incredible it is that this team right now sits at 10 and 0 sits at 10 a perfect 10 and 0 it's hard to be perfect in baseball like it is hard to be 10 and 0 it's very hard and again for this team to have done that um they've won in many different ways again i, th I think it shows a lot of character a lot of resiliency um, you know, that win anyway mentality we talked about last weekend, 
you know, and, and again, I, I just wanted to take a second to show appreciation to, hey, let's give the golf clap. Like, why not? I mean, it, it's incredible what this team is doing to this point, you know, whether it's pitching, whether it's hitting, whether it's great defense, whether it's a mixture of the three, they are finding ways to win ballgames. And again, I just don't want fans to underappreciate that. I don't want fans to take that for granted. Like, oh, you know, we're South gonna, we should be 10 and 0. There's a lot of teams that are really, really good. Some that are ranked ahead of South Carolina, a lot that are ranked ahead of South Carolina that have lost games. And we haven't. And it's a really cool thing to watch. And it's a really cool feeling. And again, it's not going to last all season. You're going to lose baseball games. Bottom line, it's just inevitable. But today, right now, South Carolina sits as one of the few in the country that is undefeated. And it's a really, really cool feeling. And again, to everybody involved with Gamecock baseball and Gamecock baseball fans, I would say pat yourself on the back and and take it all in, man, because we're undefeated. We're 10 and 0. And it's, it's a really cool thing. And I'll be interested and intrigued to see where South kind of sits uh, once the rankings come out from D1 Baseball and amongst the other the, the host of others that do their rankings uh, a little bit later today, of course. All right, let's move into, guys, our TSUS Series MVP. Who's taking home the hardware this week? And, you know, I'm going to stick with the hitters because I thought about giving it to a pitcher, but which pitcher do you give it to? I, I mean, you could give it to the entire pitching staff, but this, this is an individual award. So we're going to keep it that way. But I have a great TSUS Series MVP for this week, guys, and the guy that I think deserves it. And someone who has, has battled his tail off to get playing time, and he's a local kid from Greenville and went to Elon and, and then transferred in here to South Carolina as a grad transfer. This was his dream school. I mean, he has coming home as his walk-up song. Joe Satterfield, your TSUS Series MVP, guys, two for six on the weekend, three RBIs. Now here's the kicker. Again, on a weekend where runs were very hard to come by, Joe Satterfield gets his opportunity beginning on Saturday, plays Saturday and Sunday, has two RBIs on Saturday and a 4 to nothing win, and gets you on the board, by the way, to start that game. And then on Sunday, he has the lone RBI in the game, and that proves to stand as you win the game one to nothing. So again, Joe Satterfield, congratulations at the plate, did his job two for six, three RBI, um, and the hometown kid, man. We got to give the we got to give the honors, the awards of the hometown kid. What a weekend for Joe Satterfield! Great stuff. Good on you, Joe, and uh, glad he's a Gamecock for sure. All right, let's move into who's hot, who's not, guys. And again, I mentioned him earlier, but I got to talk about him yet again. Who's hot, man? This Carolina bullpen over the weekend. 11 innings pitched, five hits, zero runs, zero earned, one walk, and 19 strikeouts, guys. Like I said earlier, that is getting the job done. I mean, flat out, that is getting the job done. Um, you're going to win a lot of baseball games if your bullpen is throwing 11 innings of scoreless ball with 19 strikeouts. And, guys, only one walk, 19 Ks to one walk. That's honestly, guys, that number, that walk number, that is why the guys who were in the game, the guys that are getting the innings, that's why they're getting them. Just be honest. That's why they're getting them. It's a bunch of strike throwers. That's why they're getting the innings over the other guys. Bottom line. It's not that I think their stuff is, is that superior or that much better or, you know, they're just that much better of players. But, hey, when you're throwing strikes and your stuff is really good, you're going to rack up strikeouts and you're not going to walk guys and you're not going to give up runs. And that's what you got to have out of your bullpen. So again, another great weekend for the Carolina bullpen. Again, 11 innings pitch, five hit, zero runs, zero earned, one walk and 19 strikeouts. Again, like I said, guys, you're going to win a lot of ball games when your bullpen is throwing that way. All right, let's move into who's not. 
And uh, this is a guy, again, that I, I expect him to figure it out. Um, it, it's surprising where he's at at this point in the season. But uh, Brandon Malone, um, you know, started the game on Friday, went one for four, three strikeouts, um, got pulled late in that game, and from what my sources told me, was actually suspended for the game Saturday due to something he said to the umpire or something. I, I don't know what happened. Either way, he sat on Saturday and Sunday, and I think it's it's a good thing. And, again, you give a guy like Satterfield chances and opportunities, he made the most of it. And, and when a guy's swinging it well and, you know, he had five RBI in the midweek game at Winthrop and then he swings it the way he did on Saturday and Sunday, you got to give him looks because right now, Brennan Malone, something is not clicking. And I don't know what it is. I, I think – this is a really talented kid. I know it's a really talented kid. And, uh, you know, I, I know for a fact he's got a great support system and people around him, and I think this is something he'll figure it out. But I think, you know, listen, the game of baseball is really tough, and it, it's a mental game, and it will beat you to your knees if you let it. It will beat you down. It, it will – I mean, this is a hard, hard game. When you start getting in your own mind and, and start playing mind tricks on yourself, it becomes even tougher. And I think that may be where Brennan Malone is right now. I, I think this is a young kid, a young cat – dealing with adversity, trying to figure it out again. The, the talent's there. There's no question. There's no question the talent's there in my mind. So I think it really is all mental. Um, but Brennan Malone, not hot right now. Certainly not hot. He's struggling. But uh, I think Brennan Malone still, his season's not over. We're only three weeks in. And I think he's a guy that still is going to be a big piece for this Gamecocks baseball team. Um, let's look ahead. What's next for Carolina baseball? Wednesday, you've got the midweek game at the Citadel. And then, of course, this weekend, the series at Texas, and what a weekend it should be! Um, it's going to be incredible. A series, a series, two decades in the making. Um, you know, really, I would say your first big test. Um, we saw Texas. I'd have to, you know, look and see what they did. I think they actually lost Saturday and Sunday, but uh, their Friday starter Ty Madden had 14 strikeouts and I think a one to nothing win. You know, Far versus Madden is going to be one of the one of those matchups for the ages, and I think that series will be as well. And again, that's going to be a great series for Gamecocks, for Longhorns, for college baseball fans. It's going to be um, absolutely incredible. But again, you got the midweek game first at the Citadel. That weekend series at Texas is, again, the Gamecocks put their undefeated record on the line, 10-0, 10-0. They'll take that undefeated record record into those games this week. So, yeah, another successful weekend for kind of baseball, guys. With that being said, let's move into the hardwood. And listen, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Men's basketball falling to Kentucky, 92-64. to um, Really quickly, we'll gloss over the stats, and I'll kind of give my quick thoughts on this one. Um, Kentucky shot 49% from the field, 48% from three. South Carolina, 38% from the field, and 11% from three. I think there was a stat out there, your guards combined to shoot like three for 29 or something, which is just – which is just baffling. Um, you look at South Carolina scores, Jalen McCreary with 14 points, Keyshawn with 16, Justin Manaya with six, A.J. Lawson with six, Wildens Levesque with eight. Um, Kentucky, their guys, you know, they had a couple of guys with some good games. Brandon Boston Jr., who's a real player, 21 points. Davion Mintz, 20 points. Uh, bottom line is this, though. Again, you go on the road, you get killed, you get blasted. I don't think any of us were really that shocked. But and this was a makeup game, a game that never should have happened. I, I don't know who thought it was who who thought it was a good idea to reschedule it. But I want to echo this point that I made over the weekend because I said it in my post game reaction. I'll say it again here to you guys because it's so funny. Like I, I I've accepted the season's a wash. I've accepted these games don't matter anymore. But when I watch them play, it's like it it reaggravates something in me. It, it pisses me off all over again. Because it's downright embarrassing and pathetic 
how bad this program is and how bad this team is. And you know what? Fans weeks ago, months ago, whatever, we all accepted the season was a wash, right? We, we all just kind of accepted it and like, you know what? We're going to swallow it, move on, whatever. It is what it is, COVID, blah, 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 blah. But I'll tell you this, man. If anybody in that building, if anybody on that team accepted that as the reality for this season, like, oh, you know what, COVID, you know, whatever, who cares? Season's a wash, don't even matter. We don't even need to show up, blah, blah, blah. If the players, if the coaches, if anybody, if they accepted that mentality and they're, they're using that as an, as an excuse in their own heads, then, bro, to hell with them. To hell with them. I mean, honestly, they're going to make us sit there game after game after game and waste our time, waste our energy, waste our emotion to watch that pathetic product. I mean, it's just... It's a damn disservice to the University of South Carolina and its fans. It truly is. It's 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 just truly is. Because, again, if we're being honest, if we really want to have an honest conversation <clears throat> and we want to be blunt about it, if we want to be blunt about it, and, again, you can tune out right now and you, whatever. This, this show is not for the faint of heart. If we want to be blunt, the fact of the matter is this. Every team in college basketball – Every program dealt with COVID. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Now, did South Carolina deal with it worse than a lot of other schools? Yeah, for sure. I mean, no question. Nobody's debating that. But every school dealt with it to some degree. So this season was all about overcoming adversity, relying on leadership, and overcoming that obstacle. And the fact of the matter is this, South Carolina did a piss-poor job of handling it. They just did. From the top down. From And I know Martin had it twice. Again, I, I have empathy. I have sympathy. I have empathy for everyone involved. I get it. Like, it sucks. I know what it feels like to be sick, bro. I get it. It, it sucks. It sucks. But at the end of the day, you got better. Everybody got better, right? COVID hadn't been a thing for over a month. We all know that. And I'm just saying that, like, everybody had to deal with this adversity. And, hey, look at a team like Kentucky. Did they have the season they were expecting this year? Absolutely not. Kentucky has been historically bad this year. But you know what else Kentucky's done? They battled. They fought. They were terrible in the non-con, and they ended up finishing 8-9 and nine in SEC play. And they battled back all throughout the season. Bro, South Carolina quit. And I guess the matchup against Georgia is just that good. Like, Georgia should be embarrassed for losing to us. Because outside of those Georgia games, I mean, this team has gotten throttled. Dude, they haven't lost. They've gotten throttled. And it's just... It's just a damn shame, bro. And like I said, if if the people in that building again, I I don't know. I, I'm not inside their brains. I'm not inside the door building. I'm not I'm not behind closed doors. I I don't know. But if those people in that program, if they accepted this season as oh man, it's a wash. You know, we were put in a tough spot, and the finger pointing is going on, the excuse making is going on. Then you know what? To hell with all of you. To hell with you for wasting my time and wasting our time. It's just pathetic, bro. It's pathetic. There, there's, there's having struggled this season because of COVID. 
And they're just being pathetically bad. And we're just pathetically bad. And now you got the SEC tournament coming up. You got your own fans not even wanting you to play because you suck so bad. And I don't blame them. Hey, the nightmare will finally be over this week. That, that, that is the number one positive about this season. The nightmare will finally be over this week. Finally. Thank God. Thank God. It'll finally be over. So, um, again, Gamecocks fall 92-64. to 64. I mean, what else is there really to say? Let's, let's, instead of talking about that, let's move into more of a positive, and that is Dawn Staley's crew. How about them? Let's give them a round of applause. Sixth SEC championship in the last seven seasons. Unreal. 67 to 62, the Gamecocks get the job done. See, guys, this is why I told you a couple of, about a week ago, I, I wasn't concerned. I wasn't worried. And I tell you what, I, I, I almost hate to shout him out, but I want to poke at him a little bit because he tunes in the Daily Crow every single day. He comments on YouTube almost every single day. And again, I, I want you to keep doing it. Again, I love it. I, I love the fact that we have people that tune in and, and, and banter and, and give their thoughts. That's what we need more of. He's always on Twitter, too, all over it. But Adam Ritter, Adam, I don't know what you're gonna, I don't know what you're gonna complain about today, my friend. Because I mean, you were worried about Dawn Staley, you were worried about this game, you're worried about their chances in the tournament. And you know what? The Gamecocks took care of business, did what they do best, and got the job done. Carolina shooting 43% from the field. Uh, let's see, 50% from three-point range. Also, you take a look at your leaders, you know, Aaliyah Boston, uh, an absolute beast, 27 points. Uh, Henderson with 18 points. You know, Zaya Cook with eight points. Uh, Bria Beal with seven. But overall, again, just, just want to take a second to show the appreciation for that program. And I, this is something that's becoming, you know, becomes expected. I mean, you, you expect women's basketball to win the SEC title and and be a number one seed and, and, and you know, make a run of the national title. But don't ever take it for granted. Because what Dawn Staley has built, what they're doing in that program, just just winning is second nature. You know what I mean? So, um, incredible stuff, man. And, and we're really, really lucky. You know, we're really lucky to have a program to watch like the one that Dawn Staley's provided us. It, it's it's absolutely incredible. And, and uh, you know, it was fun watching that game. I was able to tune in after I got back from Founders Park after the game on Sunday. And, uh, you know, just flat out had a blast. I mean, it, it's fun watching them play, man. It's fun watching Dawn Staley coach and, and, uh, you know, just, just incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Um, let's move, guys. One quick note. Like I said, I got to mention this men's basketball. Men's basketball uh, being named the 11 seed in the SEC tournament, taking on Ole Miss Thursday at 9 o'clock, which, you know what, to the SEC, to hell with you. To hell with you for making us – Wait all day Thursday for that game at 9 o'clock. Like, what the hell? For someone who's going to be recording a podcast for that game, who's now not even probably going to start recording till midnight, I mean, come on, guys. Really? Really? You're going to do that to me. But again, Gamecocks find themselves the 11 seed. They will take on Ole Miss Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Of course, guys, we'll break that game down. Hey, like I said, 
We're not going anywhere. I'm not going to pretend like basketball's not playing. We're going to break that game down. We're going to break it down post-game, pre-game, everything. But 9 o'clock on Thursday is when the Gamecocks will get going in the SEC tournament. All right, guys, let's move into your listener questions real quick. We'd have just a few. Uh, Spencer Sox 1 says, is George Khalil ever not in an 0-2 count? <laughs> um, you know, that's a great point, man. And, and, and listen, Georgie's a guy that I'll say this. You know, I love him. I, I You know, you, he makes plays every weekend that show you why he's the starting shortstop. But my God, at some point, he has got to hit the baseball. Um, it's, it's listen, it's tough sledding for George right now. No other way to put it. And, uh, you know, I talked about seven through nine in your lineup has to improve and, and him being in the nine hole, he, he's got to get better bottom. I mean, and the thing that concerns me most is this, it's not even just that he's not getting hits and that the average looks bad. It, it's not, it feels like it's non-competitive at bats. It, it really does. It feels like it's non-competitive at bats. And that's what I think concerns me the most. Um, listen, I still think George Khalil is a very capable player. Um, I, I think he can be, if he can hit 250 for you, if he can hit 250, you'll take it. But right now, I think he's hitting like 160 maybe. Um, let's see. He's hitting 189 through 10 games. So he has seven hits and 37 at bats. So, you know, you, you've, <coughs> you've got to, uh, excuse me, guys, you've got to find a way to get him going if you're Mark Kingston and that crew. Um, all right, Krusty Andy says, if we sweep Texas, will we be in the top 10? I think, you know, I'll be interested to see that the rankings will come out today. I think South Carolina is going to be pretty close to being in the top 10 in this poll. Um, now, I mean, of course, if you sweep Texas, you're probably a top five team. I don't, I don't think you're top 10. You're probably a top five team if you sweep Texas. Um, but I'll say this, guys, again, and we'll break down the Texas series this week, of course, but South Carolina, hey, winning two out of three would be a great result. So, you know, again, I'm not saying don't have the expectation of going there and win all three games, but just realistically looking at it, if you win the series, that's a great weekend. So, um, but certainly, if they swept Texas, you're, you're at minimum top 10. I think you might even be a top five team. Uh, Blake M. Collins says, Founders Field is the toughest place to play in the SEC. Well, Blake, it is Founders Park. Won't hold it against you. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, listen, it's a great ballpark. It's a great ballpark. I'll just say that. I, I love Founders Park, genuinely. Last question, Austin G underscore 45, is the lack of situational hitting at times something to be concerned about? Um, as long as it doesn't continue, no. As long as it doesn't continue, no. That's the big thing. Uh, you you know, I, I still, like I said, I like this team a lot. I like them at the plate. Um, you know, definitely need to be better in those situations. You, you have to capitalize. But uh, I, I think this team will be okay. Like I said, as long as it doesn't continue and doesn't linger and you, you don't leave a bunch of guys on, because, again, you know, it, it – it really does come down to, you know, hitting is one thing, but it's all about timely hitting. It's all about timely hitting and finding ways to, to drive guys in and produce runs and manufacture runs. You know, you can't always lean on the home run ball. You just simply can't do it. So, you know, I would just say, man, like I said, as, as long as it doesn't continue to linger, it's not something that I'm going to be concerned with as long as it's not a trend. But, um, you know, overall, you, it's something you'll keep an eye on. I know something that Kingston and that crew, they'll definitely work on to make sure, um, you know, they have corrected and something they can, you know, situational hitting is something that you can rely on moving forward. So, again, should be interesting to see how it pans out. Again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We have a fantastic interview now. <clears throat> Former Gamecocks lifting the pitcher, Tyler Webb. Again, what's really cool about this one, guys, it's always cool when we get somebody that is currently in the major leagues. Tyler Webb is with the Cardinals. Um, 
has been in the majors the last couple of seasons. Heck, you guys, if you're big Braves fans, you probably saw him pitch in the series in the playoffs against the Braves. But uh, currently with the Cardinals right now, and obviously very successful at South Carolina, won back-to-back national titles. Um, Big-time player for Carolina from 2010 to 2013, guys. we got a great show. we got a patent interview. And it's all brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Guys, Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, guys. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. And guys, it's trusted by yours truly. Manscaped, the official trimmer of the Spurs Up Show and of Chris Phillips of the Spurs Up Show. Guys, they hooked me up with a bunch of their tools and formulations from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. Guys, We've all been there, right? Like you're, you're trimming your junk, you're shaving, you're trying to get right, whatever, whether it's for your lady, it's just for yourself, whatever you're doing, right? You're, you're trying to get right down there. And before Manscaped, you had your clippers, you had whatever, you got a razor, and you're cutting yourself, and it hurts, and, and, it, and it's just so uncomfortable, and, and you're bleeding, and it's just a flat-out mess, guys. That is so 2020. That is so in the past to cut yourself like that, to, to, to take care of yourself. Guys, Manscaped has got you covered. They've created the best hair, ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 3.0, guys. Their 3.0 generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Guys, I now feel confident shaving my boys, and I'll tell you this, I've used it. This thing works wonders, guys. It is an absolute game-changer. It's incredible, guys. In addition to it, get this, the trimmer has an LED light. I mean, we're literally living in 3021 right now. It has an LED light for a more precise shave, and it's waterproof to make your shower shave clean and easy. Guys, I, I, I used it the other day. Trimmed my junk up, got my junk all right, used it in the shower. It's it just, it's a no, guys, it, it's a game changer. It's a no-brainer. It's something you got to have. The Lawnmower 3.0, by the way, guys, it comes inside their brand new Perfect Package 3.0, which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there, guys. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0, which, by the way, is what they sent me. So I'm speaking from experience. It includes the Crop Preserver. It's an anti-chafing ball deodorant moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, guys. Why are you not putting a deodorant on your sweaty and stinky balls? Like, let's be honest. You know, it, it gets it gets a little rank down there, right? The Crop Reviver, I'm extremely thankful for it. This product, along with the Crop Preserver, keeps your balls from sweating, smelling, and stinking, guys. And guess what? Also, when you get the Perfect Package 3.0, they give you two free gifts, and I got them. They're awesome. A pair of high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs, extremely comfortable, by the way. They keep your junk feeling fresh all day. And a travel shed bag to store all of your grooming goodies. Guys, again, don't be using the same trimmer you use on your face, on your nuts. That's disgusting. And also, don't use that uncomfortable trimmer and nick yourself and cut yourself and make yourself bleed, guys. We all know, and if you're not grooming yourself, by the way, you should be. And so if you're going to groom yourself, make sure you have the right tools for the job, guys. If you go to manscaped.com right now, you're going to get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code TSUS. Guys, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code TSUS. Guys, unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Again, Chris sent you. Chris is telling you to go do it. Again, I swear 
buy these Manscaped products, and you should as well. Again, that's T-S-U-S, your promo code at manscaped.com to get yourself 20% off and free shipping. And we thank Manscaped for their support of the Spurs Up show. Guys, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Now, enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks left in the pitcher and back-to-back national champion, Tyler Webb. All right, joining us in the Spurs Up show is, is a man that picks for Gamecocks baseball from 2010 and 2013. During his career, he went 15-7 and seven with a 2-3-4 ERA, recorded 20 saves in 173 innings pitched. He also had 182 strikeouts, was named second-team All-SEC, third-team All-American in 2013 as well. He was taken in the 10th round of the 2013 MLB draft by the New York Yankees. He's played for the Yankees, Brewers, Padres, and Cardinals. In the MLB, his stats currently 3-3 three and three with a 3.69 ERA and 105 innings pitched. He's also recorded 90 strikeouts and two saves. Guys, very pleased to be joined by former Gamecock Southball. And mentioned, by the way, two-time back-to-back national champion and appeared in the national championship game, of course, for South Carolina in 2012. Former Gamecocks lefty, Tyler Webb. Tyler, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I think I mentioned this when I had Christian on the show. We have to – I promise to do a good job of – in regards to uh, keeping things pretty buttoned up because I feel like with your career and all the success you have, we, we could just go on forever in regards to – I mean, there's not a lot of college players that, that won two national titles, went to three national titles, and did what you did in your college career. So, again, we'll hit the highlights for sure. But I want to go back, Tyler, to the beginning for you. You're from the state of Virginia. You choose to come to South Carolina – um, just talk about the recruiting process like for you. Obviously, Ray Tanner was there, the legendary head coach. He had that thing rolling. And the Gamecocks seemed to have that connection from Virginia to South Carolina with JBJ was already there and some others that have mm-hmm. come, come in way after you as well. But just talk about the recruiting process. I'm sure it started very early and why you chose South Carolina. Yeah, so um, from a pretty small town in Virginia and uh, kind of had uh, to go the – you know, the travel ball route to get seen because of, you know, single A Virginia baseball, you know, not a lot of scouts coming to those games, but, uh, so got, got with, uh, the Canes organization pretty early on in their, um, I guess, existence of, uh, going to, you know, showcase tournaments and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, the main reason for that was to pitch in front of, you know, college coaches, um, and, South Carolina saw me uh, at a couple different places and then, you know, had Tommy John in high school and uh, they were good enough to, you know, kind of keep in touch and uh, keep updated with my recovery and all that. And, you know, came and saw me uh, throw after I got back on the mound and, you know, still had a, a spot for me. And, you know, I, I, uh, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to go south and, you know, play in the SEC and for such a big time program like South Carolina, it was, it wasn't a very hard decision. Now that freshman year, Tyler, I want to jump into that. Cause again, you had 17 appearances and you started seven games when you came in and obviously we know now you're making a pretty damn good living uh, a guy being not, not a lefty specialist, but coming out of the bullpen for the Cardinals right now, were you planning on being a starter? I mean, did you want to be a starter? Did you want to be a bullpen guy? Did you really care? I mean, did you have a preference? What was, what was that kind of that, that process like once you got on campus? Yeah, I, I think everyone that grows up pitching wants, wants to be a starter and wants to, you know, if, if you're a good big league starter, that, 
that's a pretty good living. Um, so I think that's right. kind of um, everyone's dream going into it. And obviously I wanted to start in college and uh, had, had some good falls and put myself in a position to, you know, uh, start on the weekend as a freshman and uh, had some okay outings, had some not very good ones. And it, it just kind of, didn't work out. I, I couldn't really tell you why. I, I just kind of luckily fell into the bullpen role. And mm. after a couple different tries at the rotation, just I think the coaching staff and later myself realized that, you know, maybe, maybe this is, you know, what's best for me and for the team. And uh, yeah, kind of everything got a lot better once I, you know, kind of got into that role, got into the bullpen. Uh, I, I don't know. I just pitched better out of the bullpen. I can't, <laughs> I can't explain it. For sure. I, I want to move into Tyler, uh, you know, head coach Ray Tanner. Obviously you got to play, you had the opportunity to play for a legendary head coach, Hall of Famer, obviously two-time national champion, what you helped him accomplish, but what he did over the course of his career uh, at South Carolina, of course, still there as the athletic director. Just talk mm -hmm. about your relationship with him, what that was like playing for him. Because again, I've had a a ton of guys on, a ton of his former players that talk about just how tough he was, but he was able to get the most out of his players and I think really relate to each guy on an individual basis and sort of tap in and get the most out of them. Just talk about, you know, what that was like, your experience uh, playing for Ray Tanner. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I think the resume speaks for itself uh, in regards to Coach Tanner. And I think, you know, uh, his reputation was that, you know, he was – he was a hard coach and, you know, he expected a lot, but I, I think he was looking back on it. He was very good at realizing, you know, who needed the tough love, who needed a pat on the back, when to, when to pressure, you know, push what buttons and this and that, you know, there's all kinds of stories about him telling people, you know, that he's going to throw a slider and then you're going to hit a homer, or, you know, all, all, all those type things. But I think he was really good at realizing what each individual player needed and that tough love and, uh, you know, looking back on it, uh, I feel very fortunate to play for him. And, you know, there was a lot of lessons I learned early on in my college career that, you know, I still use to this day. For sure, Tyler, I want to jump ahead again, that freshman season. It's crazy. As a true freshman, you guys, of course, that 2010 making 10 team, making the run, you guys did all the way to Omaha and you, you go there and you obviously beat Coastal first things first to punch the ticket, which is the first goal, right? Just even getting to Omaha is a dream. But, uh, you know, you get there. And like I said, you had 17 appearances in that freshman season through 36 and a third innings. I mean, you got a couple appearances in Omaha. You actually got the win in the uh, in the game against Oklahoma, the 3-2 win. You pitched a third inning scoreless in the 2-1 to one win. Obviously, the clincher to clinch it all. You know, when you reflect on your time in Omaha, and like I said, as a true freshman, you were never a guy, I felt like, Tyler, when when, when fans watch you, always kind of had that that stone-cold look. Like, it didn't look like the moment was too big for you. But I have to imagine, I mean, the adrenaline's pumping. It's like, I'm a true freshman. I'm in Omaha. This is the ultimate goal, the ultimate destination. And then, obviously, you guys capping it off, um, you know, with wits walk-off and, and, and capturing mm -hmm. the first national title in school history. Just when you look back on that, winning that 2010 title, like, what stands out to you? And, again, the fact that you made a contribution for that team as well. I mean, how, how special was that for you then and now? Yeah, I mean, unbelievable experience. Um, yeah, I think I, I could be wrong on this, but I, I don't think I pitched since like the SEC tournament that year. So like I was just kind of down in the bullpen just, just in case. And then, you know, 
um, got in one of the game, the Oklahoma game, and uh, you know the the adrenaline was definitely pumping. But I think that was one of those like that long rain delay game, maybe with the lightning or whatever it was. And so it wasn't a packed house by any means, which which kind of probably helped the nerves <laughs> and uh, uh, got my feet wet. And then uh, yeah, I you know I I think it's another thing with Tanner and all the other coaches there is, you know, you just try and compete. Don't, don't give the other team any in inclination that you're nervous or sped up or, you know, no emotion is good emotion. I think is mm -hmm. kind of what they preach there. And, you know, I just tried to do that to the best of my ability. Did you ever, I mean, obviously when you came to South Carolina, you knew the quality of the program you were entering, but did you ever envision, I mean, as a true freshman, your freshman year would, would end up with a national championship. And that's, that's just kind of like the dream scenario. No, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I've listened to a, a couple other podcasts and, you know, people have talked about, we, we kind of got our butts kicked at East Carolina. Mm. We had that debacle against Clemson on Sunday that I was a part of, unfortunately, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah. And then everything kind of got rolling and then, you know, you had that emotional roller coaster that was the super regional. And then kind of after that game, I think everyone kind of exhaled and, you know, now it's like, Hey, we got here and stranger things have happened. And I, I think that was kind of, I know that was my mindset and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the mindset of a lot of other guys on the team. Yeah, Tyler, since you bring it up, we'll talk Clemson a little bit, and obviously South Carolina just uh, sweeping the rivalry series of playing the two games they played the past weekend, which is obviously a, a welcome sight to see, of course. But uh, you're very familiar with the rivalry, like you said. Obviously, 2010, you know, the legend of Michael Roth being born in Omaha. And, of course, like you mentioned, that, that regular season series that everybody forgets when Clemson dropped the 19 spot at Founders Park. And, and uh, yeah, people just seem to block that out. But, you know, after that 2010 Omaha run, you guys really had your way with them in 11, 12, 13, really the entire time you were there. I think you pitched against them. Um, I know for sure, I think 12 in the postseason, yeah, in the regional, you actually yeah. got the save in that four to three mm -hmm. win. And, you know, you had a ton of success against them. And you guys as a team had a ton of success. But the best rivalry in all of college baseball, in my opinion, I mean, it truly is a super regional in early March. I mean, it's that, that type of feel. Um, just talk about your experiences in that rivalry. Again, you coming from the state of Virginia, I'm sure it was something maybe you weren't quite as familiar with when you got on campus, but I'm sure it's something that clicked very quickly for you once you, uh, once you took part in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you were very aware of it as soon as you got on campus, you know, with the, the running, I guess, rivalry with all the sports, you know, that is a big deal. And, um, you know, you kind of got your feet wet with the football, you know, at that time was uh, very competitive. And uh, um, so, yeah, you, you knew it was a big deal. And it was kind of like those first couple weekends were just, you know, it, almost a, a warm up for that, that. That's what, you know, you marked that on your calendar. And that was that was a big deal, those three games. And you wanted to be, you know, maybe not peaking, but you wanted to be playing good baseball when that, that weekend came around. And uh, for the most part we did other than, you know, that bad, that bad weekend uh, uh, as a freshman. Mm. I, I want to move into 2011 Tyler and just kind of ask you again, you guys go back to back and, and you take out the Florida Gators. And I want to get into that series, especially game one in just a second, but you know, I've talked to some of your former teammates and other guys. And the one that really sticks out is AJ Morales, who was of course a leader of that team. And he sort of talked about, you know, how much different it was between 10 and 11 in the sense that 10 was, 
you know, the first time ever doing it and, and, you know, the walk-off and all that. And 11 was much more, and I'm sure you relate to this being at the major league level. It was much more business-like in the sense like, okay, we know we're the best. We expect to win every game. The expectations to win the whole thing. We're not hoping we do it, um, which obviously doesn't make it any less sweet, of course. And it's funny because I, you know, I remember watching those games with fans and, and not that people celebrated any differently, I'd say, but I think the expectation was just so ingrained. It's like, okay, just going to do it again. Just kind of like, you know, it was just a given that you guys were going to get it back to back. And of course you eventually did. And, you know, what a wild ride that was in Omaha as well from that Virginia game being down or Texas, what was it? Texas A&M being down four nothing to the crazy Virginia mm-hmm. game and the, and the Florida games, of course. I mean, there, there were some wild moments in, in that run as well. But you close out Rosenblatt, you open up TD Ameritrade. How much different, if different at all, was 11? Was it any less sweet? I mean, I, I find it hard to believe it would be, but from the guys I've talked to, there definitely was a different feeling when you guys won that 2011 title versus 2010. Yeah, uh, it was a different feeling for sure. You know, um, I, I would agree with the business like, but I, I think just going through it in 10, and, you know, we had a a lot of guys back on that 11 team that, that uh, were part of the, the first national championship and knew what to expect and knew that, you know, the adversity would come at some point, which it did in Omaha and uh, that we could handle it. And um, I think we just went maybe from, you know, this Cinderella story kind of underdog team against UCLA that no one was picking to like, oh, no, we, we can handle it. We're confident. We know we're good. And then kind of showing that. And it, it was a different celebration, but I think it was just as sweet knowing that you accomplished the goal that you had. And with that target on your back, you still got it done, which was, yeah, it was a def- different celebration, but just as sweet in my opinion. Yeah, Tyler, switching gears just a little bit, because I'm looking at that sophomore season for you. And again, you went three and one with a three ERA, 22 appearances, and you had 36 innings pitched. Again, kind of a switching gears just a bit. But obviously those teams, and I just think back to all the guys you played with and all the guys that, of course, you're in the big leagues right now. We think of Christian Walker, Whit Merrifield, amongst a host of others, you know, Michael Roth, Matt Price, you know, the guys that that played professional baseball and, and just the sheer amount of, you know, JBJ, the sheer amount of though of depth and talent you guys had. Um, and, and I look at your statistics and again, very respectable and you did your mm-hmm. thing, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe at any other school, you know, you're a guy, maybe you are a team's Friday night starter or you're, you're pitching like a hundred innings or something like that. Like how much better did it make you as a player knowing that, you know, there were, you know, five, six, seven, eight other guys that are looking to take your job. And again, I'm sure that pressure was there just like it is now for you in the big leagues. You know, I mean, you string together a couple of bad outings. You might lose your job. You might not pitch again. I mean, how much better did that make you as a player, though, while you were in Columbia? Oh, it, it made all the difference. You know, um, being being in a program like South Carolina where if you're not throwing well, you're you're not going to pitch for a month, month and a half. You know, that and, – and you knew that going in and everyone else knew it. And it was – it was incentive to throw well, obviously. And then, you know, later on down the road, you know, you got in the minor leagues and, you know, sometimes in the minor leagues, you you know, you can throw bad and you still get promoted or you still have a job, but eventually you have to perform to keep a job. And, you know, having those experiences in Columbia were just so valuable in in my career now. And, uh, you know, like you said, that, 
the caveat to that is that, you know, then you had all the other guys down the bullpen, which, you know, picked you up if you had a bad night or, you know, there was such a, no one was carrying that much of a burden, you know, it, it was kind of the next man up mentality. And, uh, you know, it's when you got Ross starting it and price closing it, John Taylor, Jose Mata, you got all those guys, you know, you, you don't put too much pressure on yourself because, you know, you know, you do your job, everyone else is going to do theirs. And most of the time we would win the game. Now, 2011 game one against Florida, Tyler, you, you pitched two and a third scoreless in that one. And uh, a two-to-one win, of course, and everybody remembers the Scott Wingo plays, the Robert Berry scoop at home, the Jake Williams throw, the the so many moments. I, I mean, have you ever been a part of a crazier baseball game than that one? I don't think so. I mean, it it, it was such a strange, you know, maybe the Virginia game, but again, I had. I had a different view because I had already been in the game and the Florida game. So I'm watching it from the dugout where I hadn't been for a very long time. You know, I'm usually in the bullpen watching from 300 feet away. So the, the highs and lows of that game, you know, seemed more heightened because I was in the dugout maybe. And it was just a wild game with Barry's pick and Wingo laying out and the Williams throw, like you said, I mean, it was, you know, I'm sure it took took a couple of years off the lives of everybody in that dugout, but uh, you know, I don't think they trade traded now. But you know, it was it was definitely uh, it was good baseball, and it was it was definitely entertaining. I'm curious, Tyler, how would a guy like Scott Wingo compared to other guys you've played with in the big leagues in regards to second baseman? Because I, you know, I know Scott's career didn't exactly work out at the you know beyond the minor league level or what have you, but. I mean, I, you, you talk to anybody, and I've talked to guys that, again, have played the big league level, and they say they still have not seen a better defensive second baseman or hardly even a better defensive infielder than Scott Wingo. Like, his hands, his glove work, just incredible. Yeah, de- yeah, defensively, like you said, I mean, he was hard to beat, and, you know, I've played with some good ones, but Wingo is definitely up there, and, you know, he could, he could definitely hold his own, no, no question about it, and – you know, he was he was special to watch at second base, that's for sure. Mm. Now, Tyler, I, I joke with guys that played with you on that 2012 team because I feel like you guys are kind of like the forgotten ball club, that 2012 group, because, you know, everybody talks about 10 and 11 back-to-back, of course, um, and you guys made it all the way to the finals in 2012, but you go to YouTube, there's no highlights. Nobody ever talks about it. Yeah. Like everybody just kind of forgets 2012 even happened just because you guys didn't win it. And it's funny. I like to, I like to poke fun at, at that team in the upstate Clemson that, you know, that season would be like the best season in the history of their entire program. And just because mm-hmm. you guys didn't win the whole thing, it's like it gets, it gets discounted almost in a way. And, and I know it doesn't for like the diehard Gamecock baseball fans, but it's just so funny how that season sort of gets swept under the rug, if you want. I, I think when you look at that season almost even more in depth, you know, going into 12, you guys lost a fair amount. And the amount of newcomers that contributed and guys like Joey Pancake and Grayson mm-hmm. Griner and Tanner English and guys that were really helping you out to get back there and damn near do it again. And you guys ran into a, you know, a buzzsaw that was that Arizona team. I remember Rob Snyder led them, which yeah. I don't know if you maybe crossed yeah, over the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, So, you know, obviously a really, really good ball player. And that Arizona team was really good. But, uh, you know, how does it feel, I guess, to be a part of that 2012 club? Like I said, I feel like it's – is forgotten for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's very interesting because it, you know, all the, all those looking back now, like they all kind of run together, you know, like at least I, maybe not so much Rosenblatt, but the other two kind of run together for me were like, what year was that, you know, in TD Ameritrade, I guess. Mm -hmm. So like, to me, it's all like one year, but it was obviously two separate events, but it was, yeah, I mean, that was a really good team and, uh, you know, yeah, we've kind of forgotten. I mean, three years in a row, we played <laughs> the last series of the year, you know, yeah. I mean, we were in Omaha for two weeks for at the end of June, three years in a row. And it, yeah, that, that third year, unfortunately gets forgotten, but I mean, Hey, you, you go to win it and we didn't. So, Hey, it is what it is. I guess. You, you guys set the bar. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. When, you, when you win it back to back, I guess you just, yeah. uh, you set the bar, Tyler. I want to ask you because again, that junior season, and we all know how how critical, how how big that junior season is for your professional career and your draft status. In 2012, you had a phenomenal year. You went six and one with a one five six ERA, uh, 39 appearances. You had three saves. You threw your most innings as a, as a Gamecock in a season with 57 and two thirds innings pitched. You had 58 strikeouts. I was trying to find. It. I'm curious here. Did you get drafted in that junior season? I'd have to imagine you did, right? No, so I, I got drafted the year before as a um, as a, a draft eligible sophomore. Okay, like the forty eighth round, you know, and decided to come back. And then uh, the junior year, you know, was talking to teams and did the whole draft pre process and all that stuff. And then you know, uh, first day came and went, which I you know wasn't that hopeful for. And then the second day kind of came and went. And I kind of got a little ticked off because, you know, I had a pretty good year, like you yeah. said. And, um, you know, teams just, I, I, for whatever reason, just kind of passed. And so I got ticked off and kind of turned my phone off and said, I'll go back, do it again next year. And it's kind of what, you know, yeah. kind of what happened. That just seems shocking to me. Like, because yeah. again, that junior year, you balled out. I mean, there's no question you balled out and. Like I said, you threw your most innings as a Gamecock. And, I, you know, I guess obviously it was great for South Carolina, though, because you come back. Before we get in that 2013 season, and again, Tyler, mm -hmm. your final year, uh, obviously the big thing that changed was Ray Tanner retired, Chad Holbrook taking over as the head coach. Did that come as a surprise to you at all? And, and what was, you know, I feel like the transition was pretty seamless because Coach Holbrook was on those teams that won the back-to-back. -back. You know, he was he was even there before that. I'm sure he had a big hand in recruiting you and obviously a host of others. But, uh, you know, were you surprised at the news when Coach Tanner decided to to retire and take the AD role, if you will? And then what was the transition like with, with Holbrook? You know, I, I can't really remember. But, no, not really. Like, I, I don't really – I don't think you can blame him for – wanting to go out on top and, you know, that, that's a pretty good run and, mm. you know, kind of transitioning into a new role that he thought, you know, I don't know, maybe he thought it might be less stressful. I, I don't know if he thinks <laughs> that now, but, but, uh, you know, you can't, you can't blame him for trying to look to the future. And, you know, he had some small kids at the time that he wanted to see more. And, mm. you know, like you said, other than that, it was kind of all the coaches were the same. It was kind of, all right, Holbrook's the head coach now. Nothing really, you know, it was ran the same. It was just kind of like Holbrook was doing what Tanner did, you know, the previous three years. So it it really wasn't that big of a difference in my mind. Hmm. And, and moving into that 2013 season, Tyler, again, you were named second team All-SEC, third team All-American. I, I want to ask you in regards to your game specifically, because – 
you know, like you said, for whatever reason, you, you were drafted 48th round your sophomore year, but then junior year, you, you got completely passed up. I don't think you were drafted out of high school, correct? No. No. So where do you feel like, because obviously, again, that year, we're going to get to just a second, you were taken in the 10th round. So obviously, somebody was eventually paying attention. Where do you feel like your game made the biggest strides from that freshman season to your senior year at Carolina? I, I think just kind of adopting that bullpen role. And I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but they're way better out of the bullpen than they were when I was a starter there. So I, you know, when I decided to come back, the coaching staff was like, Hey, if you want, if you want to give starting another go, you know, by all means. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like <laughs> I'm in the bullpen. I don't care. I just want to be in the bullpen. So, you know, I just felt comfortable. I loved that you know, you could be in every game. You could throw three days in a row. Yeah. There were no nerves the night before because you're like, I might not even throw, you know, <laughs> it's not my day. It's someone else's. So mm. that adrenaline when the phone rings and it, it just, it kind of fit. And um, yeah, well, I mean, pretty much once the transition to the bullpen happened full time, that ended my sophomore year, then my junior and senior year. Um, yeah, it kind of, took off and uh, pitched a lot better for some, you know. Yeah, I, I feel like this can this question can apply, you know, to the major league level, of course, also, Tyler, as, as to the college level when you pitch to South Carolina. But how much of it's just mental? You know what I mean? Like, like, because it sounds like, again, it, it, there is certainly a different mental approach between pitching mm -hmm. in the bullpen and being a starter. Like, how much – is it just all mental there? Because, again, if you have the capability to be a bullpen guy, you know, as long as you condition and get your arm in shape, you certainly could be a starter, but I feel like the biggest difference is just the overall mentality. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, a lot of it's mental, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, um, I equated to like first tee jitters when you're playing golf or something like that, you know, but um, right. yeah, just some guys can mentally go out there and throw every night. Hey, if I don't throw more than 25, 30 pitches, I'll do it three days in a row and then other you know if if I went out and threw 80 pitches in a now in a regular season I'd have I'd need 10 days off you know like I, I there's no way I would bounce back but for some reason 20 pitches I can I can bounce back pretty well so I think it's both mental and physical but you know just some guys are that's how they're like wired I guess I, I don't really know I just I like the the unknown of it and the adrenaline rush really seemed to, to help. And, you know, yeah, you might face a guy three times on a weekend, but it's, it's not going to be within a two hour time period, you know? So maybe, maybe not facing him three times in a row in a start or something. But other than that, I think a lot of it's mental. For sure. So you go from being a young buck, a true freshman on those, that national championship team in 10, and of course still a young player in 11 you know, that 13 team, again, there was a lot of transition, a lot of moving pieces, Chad Holbrook's first season. You find yourself as a veteran guy. I mean, a veteran piece, you're a senior. Again, you have all mm -hmm. the accolades, and people are looking to you. And, again, you went 3-3 three and three with a 147 ERA, which was your best ERA in Columbia, uh, 32 appearances. You had 17 saves that year, by the way, which by mm -hmm. far your most um, in a season. Like you said, I think that was – you know, definitely in that junior year, but especially that senior year, you really, you really embraced that mood of the bullpen. Uh, you were named NCBWA Stopper of the Year watch list, I believe, at some point during that season as well. So, you know, you really embraced that role. And again, you guys made another deep run. I mean, went to Chapel Hill yeah. and 
and uh, took a really, really tough UNC team at their place to three games. And I think they were the number one national seed. I mm -hmm. mean, a really, really good ball club and unfortunately fall in that one. But when you look back on that senior season, and of course you did enough in that year to realize your dream of playing professional baseball, what do you remember most? What stands out from that senior year for you at Carolina? Not going to the College World Series. <laughs> but, um, That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it, it's hard to say. I, I mean, it was just really cool to see, you know, see – the transition from the young guys like the pancakes and the grinders and um you know all those guys to then you know it was kind of like next man up and it was just i mean we were churning through some really good guys i mean just in the outfield you went with jackie marzilli tanner english i mean those are four really good outfielders in a row you know it it was like every button they were the coaches were pressing was was working and uh I just, um, you know, that, 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 that super regional was tough, mm. uh, tough to swallow, but cause I, you know, I think, I think we, we, we definitely could have won that series. You know, uh, Montgomery has a great start, um, to, I think that was the first game against mm, yeah. North Carolina. Like the eight, nothing win. I think you, you guys. Yeah. And, you know, I really thought we were going to do it again. And I was like, I, I'm going four years in a row. That, that's all <laughs> I was thinking about, you know? And um, so, that, so that one kind of sticks with you a little bit, but a great group of guys and uh, a lot of, you know, lasting friendships and a lot of, a lot of things learned, you know, from all four years and, uh, that, you know, like I said, still, still stick with me to this day. And, of course, Tyler, in that 2013 season, that year you were taken in the 10th round of the 2013 MLB draft by the New York Yankees. Uh, I'm really curious. You can see I'm actually paying homage to your first team, by the way. So, um, But I'm really curious to hear, again, like you said, especially with that junior year, and it felt like you obviously had a chip on your shoulder. You were pissed off. Didn't even get taken that junior season when you balled out. How satisfying was it to – to hear your name called, to get that call, if you will. And, hey, be taken by an organization like the New York Yankees with the history and the tradition and, and all the championships. I mean, that's a big deal, obviously. But what was that moment like for you? It, obviously, I was excited. I, I would say I was more relieved just to be done with the draft process. It's such right. a – it's such a – you know, I'm very grateful to go through that process, but it, it you're answering questions from all these people. They're trying to figure out your – your makeup and your work ethic and your, you know, it, it was just good to know what the next step was instead of like the unknown, I guess, of the draft process. So it was like, all right, I'm with the Yankees. Like these are where their teams are. And, you know, this is, this is the next path. I, I think that was relief was probably the one thing that, that I felt most was like the unknown was, was very hard to deal with. Mm during the super regional, you know, I don't love when the draft is for college baseball in general, but yeah. <laughs> um, I would say relief and joy. And, you know, um, it was just another, you know, step in the ultimate dream of getting to the big ones. For sure. And again, you're drafted and now the real work begins, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You go through that minor league grind and I'm taking a look at your career because you made your MLB debut June of 2017. So for you, it wasn't like you get drafted and you're up in the big leagues in a few months. Mm -hmm. No, you went through truly the minor league grind. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you did get a non-roster invitation to spring training with the Yankees in 2015. Um, so you dabbled in it a little bit, but again, you, you went through that. Talk about just life in the minor leagues, man. I mean, we, all, we all hear the stories about the long bus rides and the peanut butter and jelly yeah. sandwiches, and it, it's a true grind. Some of the, you know, I've heard some of the horror stories of the ballparks you play at and just, you know, playing the double headers and, and this and that, whatever. I mean, just talk about that. And, I, and I'll ask you this too, because again, now you're enjoying yourself at the major league level, having the career you're having. I mean, did you feel like, during that journey, did you, you know, because I feel like it's easy for maybe doubt to creep in at certain times. It's like, am I ever going to get there? Like, mm-hmm. it feels like it's, it's, it's a goal that's so far off. You know what I mean? So it can yeah. be hard to stay locked in. H- how did you feel on that process? Did you feel like pretty good about your chances in regards to if I just keep doing my thing, I will find myself at that level eventually? Yeah, I, I think I was extremely lucky. Um, in regards to the minor league grind or whatever it is, because I moved fairly quickly through the minor leagues, um, went to rookie ball and then got to low A in that first half season and then got to triple A um, by the next all-star break. So got to triple A really quick and obviously kind of stalled out there, but it, you know, then you're just one call away instead of maybe five so I was much closer to the light at the end of the tunnel maybe than a lot of guys are while they're you know in that riding the bus and the bad outings and stuff so I think being in AAA being so close to the ultimate goal helped with a lot of that negativity and you know I'm not going to get there and this and that you you knew you were a couple you know a, a 14 inning game and a couple injuries you were you were close. So it was, uh, I was extremely lucky to, to be in triple a for, you know, most of my minor league career to, to not have that, you know, who, who knows if I'm 26 and I'm still in a ball or whatever yet, you, you know, doubt could have crept in very easily, but I think being so close to the end of the ultimate goal, um, helped with all the, the bus rides and the, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and you know all that stuff because it's it's not glamorous and it's definitely not glamorous when you leave a place like South Carolina you you're like oh man I'm you know I'm not in the SEC anymore this is not you know these aren't the nice buses we're not flying to (laughs) LSU or you know this is this is different but uh it was fun I mean you had good days and bad days, just like any other job. And I, I think, you know, you have to take it as a job that it is. It's a really fun one. It's a, you know, it's the best job in the world, but it's, you're still getting paid to do it. So, you know, there, there'll be days that you don't like it. And there's a lot of those days in the minor leagues. That's for sure. For sure. Now, Tyler, we know that there's a jump from high school ball to the SEC, of course, and it's the premier conference in the country. So, you know, there's no secret there's a jump from playing college baseball, SEC baseball, to the professional ranks as well. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like – so I'm, I'm sure your game was was very conditioned for what you were seeing at the minor league level, but do, was there a major jump for you that you feel like you had to made or had to make in your game going from college to the pros? Or did you feel, you know, from the SEC grind, like you, you pretty much just kind of hit the ground running? Because like you said, you moved through pretty quickly. Yeah, so I, w- I would say um... – You know, rookie ball was kind of, you know, it wasn't – I felt like I was prepared for rookie ball. You know, I I got through that pretty quick. Um, 
same with low A. Double A, I scuffled a little bit early, and then that was the first time where I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to make some pitches. Like, you know, I make a mistake. I'm going to get tattooed, you know, and double A was the first time that I was like, all right, I got to I gotta get more consistent. I got to, you know, that, that was when you saw the raw talent of some some guys, you know, because, I mean, there's raw talent in the SEC. Don't get me wrong, you know, but they're, they're good baseball players. There's some guys that just, you know, in the minor leagues, they'll just run into one hit at 480 feet out of nowhere. <clears throat> so I think once you got double A, that was good baseball. And then triple A, you had guys coming back from the big leagues, and that was – you had to be real consistent. Like, you can make three or four good pitches, and then you you hang one. And those older players, you know, that have some big league time, they – they make you pay most of the time. So mm. I would say, you know, I was, I was fairly prepared for the lower levels and then double A was a learning curve. And then triple A was definitely another one. For sure. And obviously you get to the major league level, Tyler, you make your major league debut June the 24th, 2017 uh, for the New York Yankees. Uh, t- just talk about that again. You finally do get that call and you get the opportunity and, First time, obviously, you, you take the field, you know, for the Yankees. I mean, what, what was that like? What was that experience like for you? What do you remember from it? Yeah, it was pretty surreal. I was I was eating breakfast uh, in Scranton, and pitching coach was like, "Hey, I need you to go to the ballpark." I was like, "Right now?" And he's, he's like, "Yeah, I'm not. I can't tell you what's going on, but go to the ballpark." And he's like, "Pack your clothes." So I was like, "All right, well, I'm going somewhere," you know. Um, so I pack up and. Uh, manager tells me, I, you know, congratulations, you're going to the big league. So obviously I call my parents, call my wife. Um, and uh, so call my wife. She's like, all right, I got to figure out how to get there. Um, call my mom. And she's like, she, she doesn't believe me. She thought I was joking with her. So that kind of ticked me off right away. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? You think I'm joking? So uh, my parents got up there. My wife, Lauren, got up there. I think the best thing that happened was I, I didn't pitch that night. You know, I got to New York, kind of got my feet wet, sat in the bullpen for a couple of days, and then and then got my shot. Uh, so I think the sitting in the bullpen, kind of getting my feet wet a little bit, definitely helped the shock and awe of Yankee Stadium and, mm-hmm. and all that. But it was great having my family there. You know, my sisters got to come. Uh, had a had a big group there for uh, the debut. So it was. You know, it was just as much, you know, it was awesome for me, but it, it was great to have my parents and wife there. You know, those people that sacrifice so much, you know, um, my wife, do, you know, basically supporting me through the minor leagues. And then, you know, mm-hmm. my parents with the Tommy John, you know, they rode to South, they, they basically broke a suburban drive in South Carolina four years in a row. So, um, <laughs> and Omaha. So, right. Uh, it was it was just as much a payoff for them as it was for me. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, Tyler, because again, you pitch for the Yankees, Brewers, and Padres, all within basically a two year span, right? Twenty seventeen mm-hmm. and twenty eighteen, and then you're picked up off waivers by the St. Louis Cardinals, which again I think is another, and you would certainly I agree with this, a a fantastic baseball organization. I was lucky mm-hmm. enough a couple of years ago to go to a game at Bush Stadium and and take in St. Louis. I mean, those people. They love their baseball. I mean, it reminds me a lot of South Carolina. Like, they're big baseball yes. people. You know what I mean? That's a baseball town. But, uh, you know, just talk about, again, you bounce around a little bit from the Yankees to Brewers to Padres. Mm-hmm. And, again, you've, you've stuck with the Cardinals, and you've pitched some big innings with them. And, uh, you know, I, I remember specifically, heck, what, what was it? It was uh, 2019 
Braves Cardinals in the, in the playoffs. Yeah. And obviously this is Braves yeah. country down here. We're watching. I think yeah, you pitched yeah. in that series. And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for you, the Cardinals, <laughs> Cardinals found a way to get the job done. Yeah, but, yeah. uh, but no, nah, I mean, just, just talk about what, what do you feel like has worked for you so well in St. Louis? Not that it didn't work in the other places, but again, I feel like you found a really nice groove and a good home in, uh, in St. Louis. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, being with the Yankees for so long that that first trade kind of, you know, I got a little shell shocked. I'm not going to lie. I was, I knew everybody's name and the organization. I was very comfortable. And then all of a sudden you get a call from Brian Cashman and you're traded and, you know, it's part of the game, but I don't think anybody's ready for it. And kind of got a little shell shocked and lost my way and, you know, wasn't pitching great. And then uh, got over to the Cardinals and, um, you know, had a, I had a couple of good outings with the Padres, some good ones, some bad ones, but mm. I felt like I was writing, writing the ship a little bit. And then got in that Cardinals organization. It reminded me a lot of the Yankees, you know, kind of business-like do the little things right. And, you know, kind of similar organizations um, <clears throat> and kind of fit back in that groove a little bit was throwing well. And, um, uh, you know, picked up a, a couple things along the way and uh, the end of 18 in the big leagues, you know, uh, figured out, you know, another weapon to get lefties out and kind of took off from there. So I, I think it was just being, you know, a lot of it's being comfortable and um, you, you got to get lucky too. So, you know, I feel very fortunate to be with the Cardinals and to have all those experiences and just to beat off of them now and um yeah it, it was a crazy it was a crazy year and a half though when uh, all that was happening for sure yeah like I said you're definitely in a great organization I, I'll ask you Tyler one of the last questions here and we'll wrap it up but uh how excited again obviously you're in big league camp right now like you said down in mm -hmm. Florida how how excited are you to get just you know a a as normal as possible you know 162 game MLB mm -hmm. season in because I know 2020 was I mean, just pure madness. I mean, you guys didn't even know if you were going to play. And, and I will yeah. say, though, that I thought the 60-game season was – it was very interesting. It was very intriguing. Um, with It just felt yeah. like every – it was like a college season. Like, every game counted yeah. and, and all that. But I, I know you guys, especially with the, the madness of last year, again, how, how just excited are you to go through a normal spring training and have a normal opening day and, mm -hmm. you know, have a normal MLB season? Yeah, I, I think everyone's pretty excited. You know, we got limited fans uh, in the stands here for spring training. So that's, you know, you kind of, you don't take the fans for granted, um, I wouldn't say, but you didn't realize how big of an impact they have on you while you're on the field, I think, is is a fair assessment. So, you know, the, the fake crowd noise, and it, it was just a weird <laughs> year with the, you know, we got hit obviously pretty hard by the virus and I don't know how many double headers we played. It, it's just good to be like back in a closer to normal routine. Um, yeah, I would just say the routine, having fans back in the stands. And, you know, we we got our guys back in Wayno and Yachty, picked up Arenado. So, so everybody, you know, everybody's in high spirits in, in Palm Beach for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, I forgot you guys did pick up Nolan Arenado. I think the Cardinals yeah. might be back. <laughs> I think the yeah. Cardinals might be back back with, with a guy like, dude, he's such a beast. Arenado's such a freaking beast, man. Yeah, every, everybody in Cardinals camp is pretty excited. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
we're, we're ready to get the season rolling. That's for sure. Yeah. How could you not be last thing, Tyler, and I'll get you out of here on, on a more lighthearted note. Cause again, normally I ask guys, you know, Hey, what was your favorite memory at Carolina? But mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like to ask you that question would just be a little ridiculous when you went to three national titles yeah. and you won two of them and you had all the successes you had at Carolina. So I'll switch it up a little bit. Funniest story on field or off field, maybe with Ray Tanner or just in the clubhouse or like at Carolina, like what's the, like, is there a moment that sticks out to you? That's, that's uh, maybe made you laugh or, or just kind of, kind of an off the wall moment. Like a, a nothing, like nothing terribly funny with, with me involved. I feel like, so there are a lot of other people's stories. That's probably you know, a like positive. That's probably a good. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of stay in the bullpen and try yeah. to stay out Find of your own business. <laughs> But uh, him and Wingo had some pretty good exchanges. So, you know, <laughs> I think that would be the guy to talk to about that. Yeah. Um, Pancake, maybe, you know. It, I don't think people realize Coach Tanner is very witty and he's very quick. So, like, right. you think um, a couple guys have think they got him and he yeah. comes back with a one-liner and just embarrasses them. So, <laughs> he's, he's a lot wittier than I, I think people people give him credit for for sure love that the legend well tyler this has been a blast man i really appreciate you taking the time and obviously i speak for all of gamecock nation when i say we appreciate what you did in the garnet and black and man it's just been awesome to see you have the success you've had at the pro level even if it's for the cardinals again i know there's a lot of braves fans out there listening yeah. but no seriously man it's been great to see you have those successes and i know we're all looking forward to a a a full mlb season this year and obviously you getting a lot of appearances and having a lot of successful outings this year and we'll obviously be uh be pulling for you. So, again, man, I appreciate you taking the time, and let's definitely do it again soon for sure, man. Best of luck this year. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. He's Tyler Webb. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show. Hey.